This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. So, um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Um, thank you for having me. I'm a little out of it. I had a, <laughs> a long client dinner yesterday, so um, that included maybe a little too much wine. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, sounds like it was fun, at least. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was. It was one of my really good femme subs. So <laughs> amazing. Um, well, man, I mean, it's so funny. I just like immediately want to like ask about that, but I'll, 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 I'll hold back for a second and, and try to start, start off a little bit slower. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> I guess if you wouldn't mind, I would love, uh, if you would maybe just tell, I mean, myself and listeners a little bit about your work, how you got started, um, and maybe to take it even farther back, kind of just explain for anyone who doesn't know what a dominatrix is as you define it? Yeah, definitely. Well, my name is Lucy Sweetkill. A lot of people either call me Mistress Lucy Sweetkill or Daddy Lucy Sweetkill or Queen Lucy Sweetkill. That's my <laughs> um, favorite one. <laughs> I'm a professional dominatrix I'm based in New York City, but I do travel to other cities as well, specifically the Bay Area. I've been a professional dominatrix for 12 years, 13. I've kind of lost count. After 10 years, you start losing count. Yeah. But <laughs> um, I've also, you know, I consider myself a BDSM um, educator as well. I'm a certified life coach um, with a focus within the BDSM and kink space. Um, I work with you know, when I do life coaching with my clients, it's usually around their kind of um, sexuality and their, you know, kink identity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so those are kind of my titles. I, how that all came about, as one would expect, I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be a professional dominatrix. Yeah. Uh, there was no <laughs> formal school for me to major in. Um, it happened, you know, 
it happened in this really random, crazy way. But I think the things you're most passionate about do happen to appear that way. And so I, um, I am a business major, you know, I, I went to business school, I was working in fashion for a really long time. Um, you know, and so I really thought my kind of path was going to be up the like fashion corporate ladder, um, okay. which, which I was doing, <laughs> which I was doing quite successfully. Um, I had moved from the Bay area to New York, um, and was working in the fashion world was doing really well. And along around, you know, this time, I started to date someone who revealed to me that they were into, you know, kind of kinky, you know, BDSM type porn and interaction. And we had been like, we had known each other for a little bit as friends. And then we tried the dating route. And so this conversation wasn't like, um, out of the blue of okay. getting to know each other. And so you were already intimate. Yeah, we were already intimate. And so when I heard that from him, interestingly enough, during around the same time, you know, your life will give you signals. I really definitely believe that. Um, during the same time, I had some other interactions with folks who were within the BDSM realm. I had a friend of a friend who, um, whose girlfriend was like, Oh, I, you know, I kind of did this dominatrix thing in college, you know, years ago. And it would just came up in like a, um, kind of a dinner. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. But it was like a passing conversation because it was at like a dinner party. Yeah. And then I also met a dominatrix at a bar in New York City. So all of this stuff is all happening within a really short amount of time, like within like a year. And I'm starting to notice this theme, right. And so when it got Brought, when the conversation of kink and BDSM got brought to me in this much more intimate, personal level with this person that I was sleeping with, um, I wanted to know more because now we were going, you know, I wanted to know what he was talking about, what he, you know, what he was describing. I wanted to learn more about it. And we were, and we started to kind of partake in some kinky interactions, a little, you know, a little bondage, a little safe choking, a little, you know, pain, scratching, biting, hair pulling, you know, like what I consider now the vanilla stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But so I, you know, so all of this is happening in a short span and I'm, I'm starting to learn more about it. And I've always, been a self-learner and I'm a highly curious individual. And so I start Googling, right? I start looking up all the stuff like dominatrix, kinky, BDSM, like all kinds of stuff online. Um, And I eventually come across through all this learning and wanting to know more about this world that I didn't know about, you know, I actually came across an ad on Backpage. Backpage doesn't exist anymore. Right. Yes, I remember it though. (laughs) So I came across this ad on Backpage for this dungeon, this house, you know, about 
oh, um, are you interested in becoming a professional dominatrix? Um, we, we train, da, 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 like flexible hours, like all these things. And I was just fascinated even more. And I decided, well, if I really want to learn about this and keep in mind, I have a full time job, a full, a full career, actually. Like, like, yeah, you had gone to college. You're like in a career you've moved. Yes. I'm in a full career (laughs) while I'm like doing this, while I'm looking up this other stuff. But in my mind and being Asian, being Vietnamese American, my mind goes, well, if you're going to really learn about something, you might as well do it from the professionals. Right? <laughs> you can do something, you got to do it right. Yeah. So I'm like, well, maybe they will, like, maybe I could work for them part time. And so that's what happened. <laughs> so I start moonlighting, learning to be a professional dominatrix night and weekends while I have this full on career oh during the day. God. And so, and I didn't need a second job. It was, had nothing to do with that. It was almost like taking up like another hobby, right? Like learning, being like, oh, well, I want to learn how to be a really great chef. I want to take some, like, (laughs) take some cooking classes or, you know, it was like taking a course in my mind. I was like, well, I'm going to learn if I want to engage in this, even in my personal life, I was really fascinated. So I want to learn from the professionals and so I started at this dungeon in New York City and I was, you know, training and working there nights and weekends on my time off while had a full-time 40, 50 hour job, you know, wow. like career. And I did it for about a year. And after a year, I realized like, I was just so much more engaged in my domination work. I was so much more excited. I was constantly reading more books, looking up more subjects, taking classes from people in the field and people who are teaching like other like sex education class, like, you know, rope work and like all this stuff within BDSM. I just couldn't get enough of the information and the interactions. And so then I left my fashion job to dedicate some time actually doing this full time. And I always thought that maybe I might get back into fashion because I had a, I had to work through my own shame around sex work um, because it wasn't something that I felt comfortable telling people in my life about, like some people knew, uh, But I also, you know, I was working through my own, like, is this considered like a real career, you know, and how people think of me. And so I was doing it full time. It's like, that's really the next step of like, I am embracing this as a bigger part of my life and not just as a weekend hobby. Totally. And so there was a lot that I had to unpack around my own shame around sex work alone. And also the fact that this is no longer just me in my bedroom with a partner doing kinky, sexy time stuff, right? Yeah. I'm engaging with sex work on this bigger career level, even though I'm not having that type of physical, you know, the traditional physical intimacy that I was having with my lover at the time, 
with my clients, it, it looks different. I was still engaging in these intimate interactions. And so about like two, three years in, I realized like, I am not going back to this like fashion world. Like this is, this is like my life. This is my career. This is my passion. And I just started to dedicate more time and energy. And then five years in, I went independent, created my own um, company, my own space. And then, you know, ended up doing education work and doing all. So I just started expanding what I was doing as a professional dominatrix. And then it's become 12 plus years. <laughs> wow, that's such an amazing story. So yeah, it definitely was not something I planned, but I kind of followed my intuition and my heart and where I was, you know, feeling really connected. And, you know, for those who don't know what a professional dominatrix does, I mean, it's a variety of things because you know, not everybody does the same exact thing, just like no chef does the same exact food or prepares right. things in the same exact way. Um, but how I describe it is I engage in consensual power exchange under the umbrella of BDSM, you know, so bondage, discipline, sadomasochism. Um, mostly I, my work now really, um, my work is centered around mindful domination um, because I'm also a Buddhist. And so the type of domination I do is, is very much being very mindful in your engagement with a consensual power exchange, you know, and I enjoy, you know, a lot of kinky things. So, you know, bondage, pain, um, sensory deprivation, um, you know, you know, transformation, gender fuckery, like yeah. <laughs> a combination of things that can be definitely under the BDSM realm. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a side of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. So what is the, what would you say in your opinion is the biggest difference between a more maybe traditional dominatrix and mindful domination? Um, I think what I bring in with my domination work is a aspect of spirituality um, in my work that I do. And I think it also, you know, comes in line with me being a life coach. Um, 
you know, I want people to engage in in kinky spaces with a lot more understanding of who they are and what they're doing and are not doing it out of, you know, unhealthy places. Yeah. Or um, because you can engage as as we all know, right? Anything can be engaged from an unhealthy place, even Absolutely. if it may sound like it's inherently healthy, like even working out, right? Yeah. Um, and so I work with a lot of my clients and subs to engage within their kinky practice, whether that's with myself, in their personal life, with their partners, in a way that is much more, you know, really mindful, thoughtful, intentional, um, and allow them to really work through what they're trying to create or what type of connection they're trying to build as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love that. Do you feel like part of that has to do with, and you talked about, you know, the, the shame aspect, right. Of like sex work. And I think there's, I mean, that shame kind of goes even as simple as just engaging in pleasurable sex. You know, we have a really hard time accepting pleasure, I think, like for pleasure's sake and not for any other reason and letting ourselves have enjoyable sexual experiences. We have so much kind of built in shame from all of these different aspects of our life or society or whatever the case is. Do you feel like, you know, you kind of dealing with that and getting over the hurdle of shame for yourself has made you want to help others? And because I'm sure you have, you know, clients and people who come to you who have this, you know, very natural want to engage in these things, but also I'm sure struggle with, with the shame that, that comes with it. Very much. Definitely. Like, I think a lot of how I go about my work is very much influenced by my own experience and my own journey. For me, um, you know, BDSM and becoming a professional dominatrix, you know, which are two separate things for me, but, you know, go together. Yeah. But they both things, honestly, like really saved me. Um, it helped heal a lot of my, my wounds and my trauma and my shame engaging, engaging in BDSM help me, you know, it really helped me realize a lot about my own sexuality because I do believe that kink is a sexual orientation that can be obviously coupled with other orientations. But I think there are people who are inherently kinky. And even if it came from just it's part of you, or maybe it's a product of something that happened to you. The reality is you can't change what happened. Right. Right. And so this is part of my sexuality that I had a lot of shame around. So engaging in BDSM in a way that was, you know, honest, um, with other folks, but with myself, right. Being very, um, honest, with who I was and who I am, uh, was very healing to be able to do and to have other people see me as well and appreciate that. And being a sex worker was also very healing for me because 
I got to engage with people in a space that I felt was actually safe and showed my value. Yeah. Um, in a way that was really clear <laughs> uh, that I don't know if I could have done uh, without, you know, I don't know. Like I still think about this quite often. Like, I don't know if I would be at the place I am in, in regards to how at peace I am with myself if I didn't engage in sex work and BDSM. Like, well, I wonder if I only did, let's say, BDSM in my personal life yeah. and didn't engage in it within like a, a work setting as well. I don't know if I would be at the place I would be because I think I needed to see all the different types of clients I had, all the different types of subs, like that type of community. Yeah. And seeing all the different perspectives and hearing all their lives and seeing their journeys and helping them while they also helped me. Like I think because I was like inundated with so much of that because in the line of work, you just see more people. Right. That it kind of, I think it really sped up my healing process. Well, it's so interesting you say that because, you know, one thing I love about BDSM and the kink community in a lot of ways is that communication you're talking about and how much that does lead to people feeling really safe. And I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but there are so many aspects of BDSM that I am so surprised aren't used in all sexual situations. You know, even the most simple vanilla sex can benefit from being hyper communicative from, you know, in having very um, safe and communicated boundaries before and after, utilizing aftercare. Like it's so surprising to me that these things are not more explicitly used um, yeah. in like quote unquote traditional vanilla sex that are, are so important to the to an aspect of BDM, BDSM and kink that I think it's so it's this funny juxtaposition where I think a lot of people who are unfamiliar see it as, you know, scary and involving, mm-hmm. you know, pain as a form of pleasure and all these things. But it almost feels in a lot of ways and from what I've heard and explored, the like such a safe space for sex because these things are so explicitly talked about and communicated. Yeah, I completely agree. Like I think people forget that, you know, in a BDSM space, when we're having these conversations with our clients or subs, um, we're not just talking about physical limitations or physical boundaries. We're talking about emotional boundaries too. And yeah. so people just assume like, well, there's physical risks. And we forget that the physical and emotional risks go hand in hand. Um, they're not, you can't just separate them. Right. And that the emotional risk sometimes is a lot harder to heal when you interact with someone and something is done in a way that feels violating, right? And so we forget that those emotional risks are are inherent in any interaction with somebody else. Um, and so they should be talked about as well. Like people see why, oh, well, I see why you guys talk about these things in BDSM because someone could get really hurt. And I was like, yeah, we're talking physical hurt, but they also can get emotionally hurt and you can get really emotionally hurt in any relationship you're in. That's why it's important to talk about, right? 
I mean, yeah, it's, it's so, it's, it's, yeah, it's just so interesting that people kind of think that one, you know, one is less safe than another when, you know, in any situation like that, you are putting yourself, you know, at, 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 at risk in some way. Definitely. Do you feel like in your experience, I guess, do you find that there are pros and cons for someone who wants to explore BDSM and kink for the first time with a partner versus uh, like in a professional setting with a dominatrix like yourself? It feels like you've had a bit of both because you kind of started out exploring it with a partner and then kind of dove into it on the more professional side. Yeah, that's a really great question Um, because I think they kind of have to go hand in hand. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, like, I don't think one is better than the other, right? But there are pros and cons to both, um, and it's really, um, it's really, you know, unique to the person because if you come from, let's say, a culture and a background, and maybe um, a town or a place where maybe it's really unsafe for you to reveal or engage with someone personal in your life in this way. Um, Whether that can be a form of like, if someone shames you and then they tell other people, and let's say you're in a small town, like that's hard to get away with. And I've heard those stories, right? And so it might be safer to engage with a professional after doing tons of research, always tons of research. Let me me make sure uh, to say that um, to engage with a professional when, because then there's that um, boundary, inherent boundary. They don't know who you are. Um, They're not part of your social circles. They're not part of those things. There's a professional boundary and that might feel safer to explore that with someone professionally where there's no emotional ties so that, you know, there's a risk you take when introducing this to someone personal. And then they say, oh, I'm not into that. You could feel really rejected, right? Um, So that's, you know, there's pros and cons to it. But there's, you know, again, the pros to interacting with someone on a professional level is um, on a, um, on a personal level is, you know, there is this like sweet intimacy. Like when I was, you know, when I was introduced to this by the person I, you know, by my lover at that time, you know, I don't know if I, I think I sort of needed someone close to me to introduce it to me because then I felt much more like, Oh, well, I want to learn about this thing that you're really interested in because I was more invested. Yeah. There's a trust aspect already. Yeah. And so as we know, trust goes both ways, right? In the sense that like, if you try, if you do feel like you trust someone and you reveal something, but then they break your trust, that can be really heartbreaking. Yeah. So, you know, I've seen it both. I don't think one is better than the other. It's really about your situation um, and what feels right for you. I think eventually, though, I believe most people should see a professional um, after after really thorough research because a professional can really help make sure that you are engaging in um, whatever play you're interested in, whatever kinks you have in a way that is maybe a little bit more safer. Uh, they can help you 
navigate the conversation a little better. Um, because I do see that a lot because I do see a lot of novice players yeah. who, you know, they're using the wrong terminology. They're reading something incorrectly. They're engaging in something that's slightly more risky where I'm like, Ooh, maybe you shouldn't do that, you know, because of X, Y, Z. Um, and so I do feel that eventually if you are going to engage in BDSM, um, a little more frequently, even if you're really actually infrequent, it can really help to see a professional. So do you see a lot of um, beginners come to you and almost want to not only just engage in play, but also to be able to teach their partner and to be able to kind of like create a knowledgeable safe space for their personal relationship. And it's like, you know, they, they want to do it, but they want it with their partner, but they want to do it the right way. So they almost come to you in sort of a way of like being trained kind of. I do. I actually also usually offer that for a lot of um, my clients where I'll say, you know, the reason why I'm explaining this thing to you is because I want you to be able to take that knowledge back home and engage with it with either future partners, current partners, or for yourself in a way that's going to be, you know, safe, sane, healthy. Um, I, I try to give that knowledge to all my clients, whether they've been playing for a million years or yeah. whether they're brand new, because that's important. Like I, think I want people like my goal in the type of in being a professional dominatrix is I want to spread like kinky loving acceptance and knowledge as far as <laughs> I can <laughs> I want people to engage in it in a way where they feel fulfilled they feel seen, they feel healthy I don't want people to feel shame around it and I don't want people to get hurt um, and that's what I want because I think a lot more people are kinky. They hide it. And those who do try it, sometimes they have a bad experience and then they retreat back in. And so if I can minimize as many bad interactions that don't necessarily need to happen, that would be amazing because I do want more kinky people out there. I want more people to you know, wave their kinky flag. And I want more people to have those open and honest conversations. And I want them to feel safe in engaging in it with themselves and with other people. And I don't want people to feel any shame around that. Absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, it's so disheartening for somebody who wants to explore this and maybe they, you know, unfortunately find themselves in a situation with somebody who's unaware of how to, you know, respect and cultivate boundaries or, you know, they don't exactly know what they're doing and it can lead to maybe, like you said, one, one negative experience that kind of forever affects, you know, their view of what BDSM and kink looks like. It's like a lot of times for people, I think even myself and sexual experiences, the first time you engage in something can kind of define what you see that thing as forever. And oh, yeah. it's so hard to unlearn that once you've had one kind of like visceral or negative experience um, to not forever kind of like equate that with like, well, this is this was my experience. So this is what I see it as. 
Oh, totally. It is really, it takes a while to undo that. Like I, I would see this at, you know, I'd hear, you know, being in this industry for, you know, 12 years, I would hear stories where I'd see someone new and they would say, oh, I had one experience, but it was so bad. And they would tell me what happened that I just shoved it inside and finally, you know, and then it took them three years to try again. Wow. You know, or five years or some people they're like, they, you know, I have new clients, newbies, new, new kinky (laughs) folks who come to me at like 60 Wow. Saying that this is their first kinky experience because of the time they grew up, obviously. There was a lot of shame around it. They weren't able to talk about it. And now they're not only talk about it, explore about it, anything. And now they're like, I feel like it's my time. And I'm just like, wow, that is so crazy. Because what shame can do to someone, right? With people judging or, you know, maybe they brought it up really quickly, even in conversation and it was shot down with judgment. Yeah. They will hold it in, suppress it, and then wait until they're at like, you know, an age where they're just like, I don't give a fuck anymore. Right. Like, it's, like, it's, it's, it's quite literally do or die. If I don't get you know, yeah. experience this now, when will I ever? Yeah. And they, and it gets to that point. And that makes me so, you know, like that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that like, they've been thinking about this. And then I'll ask them about their stories, right? Like how long, when do you, when was one of your first like kinky memories, you know, yeah. when they thought about it and these thoughts and stuff will go back so far back. And I was like, wow, like in a way you're, you've been in the closet. Right. Absolutely. For- that long. It goes back to what you were saying about how it's almost a sexuality because it's this thing that has been, you know, maybe suppressed by society for so many years and people sometimes feel uncomfortable, but there is a natural innate part of people that, you know, can't help but want to explore it. Yeah. And it's so it's sad. Part of their sexuality. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, going, going back a, l- a little bit, what you were saying before. So what does, what does dominatrix training look like? <laughs> well, um, so it's very, un- unfortunately, it's a bit informal, right? Okay. Just because this world is a little, <laughs> this right. world is a little <laughs> informal. And there's a politics around that that I won't even get into. But um, so in the past, Um, a lot of people would learn these skills, you know, in a very similar form as like a mentorship, right? You would, and it would be community-based too. So events and community, other kinky folks, um, when you're gathering to parties or munches or, you know, like, like any community surrounded by a subject, you know, focused on a subject. Um, you would learn from each other. And, and it was always based on people having like specific interests. If somebody was like super into fire play, then obviously they would go about 
learning fire play and then maybe teaching somebody else who then was interested in fire play and like the knowledge gets passed around. Okay. Um, and with pro domination work, um, it's similar in the sense that um, there used to be more there were more prevalent houses, dungeons, you know, so they call them houses or dungeons, uh -huh. um, commercial dungeons where people, you know, if you were interested in wanting to work there, it would be like getting hired for a job, right? And then they would train you on different activities that you might have to do. And a lot of people coming into a dungeon there, you're coming into it because you have some sort of interest in it of right. some kind. You're, you you didn't find yourself there out of just nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> you're obviously, whether there are a lot of people who become pro-doms because they themselves are total kinksters and were engaging it in their personal life. Um, you know, people like me who just kind of started down the road, but then was just super fascinated and wanted to learn more. Those are usually the people you find you know, looking into pro-domination work. And then from there, you know, a lot of times the doms who have been there or the head dom, whoever has been there longer will usually teach the newcomers like a bunch of things. Okay. And a lot of this information is also taught from your clients, you know, because you're sometimes seeing clients who've been engaging in their kinks for like, 50 years. <laughs> they know so, better than anyone. So they know. So you learn a lot from your, your clients, your key okay. uh, your subs. Um, and I like, I learned how to whip. Um, you know, I love using my, you know, bull whip and my single tail whip. And for anyone who wants to know what that is, it's best to look it up because then you can kind of see it. A single yeah. tail whip is very similar to um, what you see, you know, Catwoman have. Okay. Um, <laughs> but it requires skill to use it in a way where you're not going to first off hurt yourself and hurt somebody else. Yeah. And I learned how to use that whip through one of my subs um, who has been a whip fetishist for so many years and who has been whipped by every pro dom for yeah. like the last 40 years. Um, and he, you know, I was really interested and I would kind of try to work on my whipping skills. And when I would see him, he would give me tips and he's like, okay, swing like this, you know, hold your body, like, you know, kind of hold your body like this. It was very much like learning how to play tennis, you know, or yeah. learning how to swing a bat or it, it's very skill-based. So learning a lot of the learning when as a pro dom, you know, if you do start at a house or a dungeon, you will learn from the other doms um, who've been there longer, and you'll usually learn from your clients um, based off your client's interest. Yeah. And if you have that same interest, it's really amazing to then learn from them. And And I've learned, you know, that's how I learned. Plus, on top of that, you also learn the best when you're practicing, when you're using the resources. And in this modern world, we have so many books, so many videos, so many online, like so much online content. Yeah, there's that, so many resources. Yes, yeah, so many resources. Um, there's classes if you're in like big cities, a lot of 
you know, a lot of, um, like sex stores, right? Like Babeland and all those types of stores. They, they sometimes do classes themselves. They do workshops. And so there's a lot of ways to kind of like refine your skills, but usually that is one of the avenues. And then another common avenue is one-on-one mentorship. And so, you know, where you work with a well-established dominatrix, um, if she does accept you, usually nowadays, most of that is like, um, it's a, it's like a paid program now, um, to mentor under a dominatrix. And that's what I offer is like, I do a, a mentorship program, um, and it's paid because you are learning a lot and you're learning a s- skills and a possible career. Yeah, so absolutely. it's like taking a class. Yeah. Like, like another and, class. So a lot of people do offer those now where, you know, if there is someone that you admire and have been following and you, and you really want to learn kind of their business, right. You, you know, if they offer it, Um, they may offer like a mentorship program as well. So there's a lot of people going down that route. Yeah. Is there, is there a part of training that kind of helps you navigate things like boundary setting or is that a little bit more learn as you go? Like do, do, I guess, do situations arise where you feel like people are trying to push boundaries um, or are the rules generally kind of clear from the beginning about what a session looks like? Oh man. <laughs> obviously, you know, with any sort of, yeah. you know, sexual situation, paid or not, you know, the boundaries are so important. And mm-hmm. I, you know, even for so, me, I'm on OnlyFans and that's online. And I have this kind of very safe buffer of it being anonymous. And even then I'm constantly having to like make boundaries very clear and repeat them quite often. <laughs> oh my God. That, so me, for me, like 12 years ago, when I started at the house, there was a combination of things happen. And I know other people have horror stories like mine as well. The pros and cons of a house. Will you learn a lot? Most likely. Yes. (laughs) Will your boundaries be immensely pushed and will you deal with some shitty situations? Yes. Wow. Okay. It is, I think the other group of folks who understand this really well are strippers. Okay. They understand the house dynamic, working at certain clubs, what yes. happens, you know, it all depends on management, depends on the other girls who are working, it depends on the clientele, you know, like all these things determine what the hell happens yeah. at that strip club. It is very similar for my friends who are strippers. We have talked about this. Um, when you start out a dungeon, it's, you know, you're going to get, sometimes you're going to get other doms who are fucking amazing, who are your sisters, who are going to help you, who are going to impart knowledge to help you deal with like shitty clients. Yeah. And sometimes you're going to get not so great colleagues who want to see you burn. (laughs) Unfortunately, then you're sometimes going to get great management and sometimes you're going to get shitty ass management who are manipulative and, you know, like I unfortunately had my, the house I started in, 
I loved my, my Dom sisters. I'm still really good friends with a lot of them. I've been bridesmaid to a few of their weddings, like close, but management was horrible. Yeah. And definitely was manipulative and all sorts of other things. And then the clients, I had really amazing clients that I've known since I've started. I have clients that I've known for 12 years Wow, who are really dear to me. Um, and I've had shitty clients. And the thing about the shitty clients, though, is they taught me my how to assert my boundaries more by pushing them. They taught me what I was not looking in like what I was not looking for in clients and subs. The shitty thing is the bad stuff sort of teaches you the most as long as you come out of it like physically (laughs) safe. You know, sometimes the emotional part is a little more precarious, but, um, you know, I've had good good clients. I've had bad clients. I've learned a lot from my bad clients. Um, and I'm luckily I'm safe, Yeah. <laughs> but I've heard horror stories. And I just think that's part of any business though, as we've seen with, you know, the me too movement, right? Yeah. Like you're, you know, I have friends who work for law firms. I have friends who are accountants. I have friends who work in these just traditional industries who deal with worse shit than I dealt with. (laughs) And similar pushing of boundaries. And it's so disheartening because you, you want this, the place where you work to feel safe and, um, you, you know, there's an expectation and I, you know, I've talked about this with friends of mine who are strippers as well. So it makes so much sense that you brought that up where there's, there is this expectation of, we understand that the, the line of work that you've chosen can sometimes be dangerous. And so that's why we're here to protect you. And when that falls short, it can, it can be so traumatizing and so disheartening for people. Yeah. And I would love for any workplace any workplace to be a safe place, no matter what the hell you do. Right. Right. But what we know, unfortunately, is that there's just still really shitty people out there who do shitty things. Yeah. And it's, you know, you can't have an, you know, overarching sweeping, you know, generalization for me, I really see it as there are shitty people out there, unfortunately. But they're every, all good everywhere. People. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you have to trust yourself. You have to learn as much as you can. And you have to take some of the bad situations, you know, you know, you have to be gentle with yourself yeah. in those bad situations. You, you know, building a support network is super important. Uh, and be as smart as you can because sometimes you don't know when. You know, you don't, you can't blame yourself when something bad happens around something you just didn't know. Yeah. You know, like that's also the hard thing that I see happen is like, you know, like I know that I went through that. Like when some, some shitty situations happen, I asked, I blamed myself for some of it where I was like, did I make that happen? Why didn't I notice it before? What? And and you can't do that because you can't control what another person does, even when you're the one supposed to be in control. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And there's also so many, there's so many interesting power dynamics, I'm guessing too, because somebody comes to you as a sub, you are in power, right? But there's also this aspect of money being involved, which a lot of times I think, especially not to generalize, but with like, you know, hetero men, they sometimes feel like when money's involved, all of a sudden the power has, you know, has shifted. Oh, yeah. so there's a lot of power dynamics at play. Yeah, very much. It's not, you know, there's these subtle power dynamics that are always in play. There's these overt ones. There is, you know, these fictionalized ones. And you, and it's not always what it is. It's very nuanced. And the reality is, you know, like I've, Bene, I have gotten to the point in my career where I can say no. Right. And that's where the power lies for me. Yes. To be able to say no to any client that tries to push my boundaries or pull some shit. Right. But do I still struggle with the idea that if I continue to say no all the time, will I be out on my ass, you know? and out on the streets, right? Like there's still that worry. And so there's still a balancing act, you know, that happens um, because we live in a capitalist society. So, you know, so I, you know, I try to manage a lot of that all around, but I'm, I'm aware of the fact that I'm at a place in my career that I have a lot more power because I can say no. Right. And I wasn't at that place when I started for a long time. And I know a lot of people won't be at that place for a while or at all because of their personal s- situations. Right? right. And that, you know, and that is the hard thing is like sometimes you are beholden to where your money is coming from because we live in a capitalist society. And if you don't have money, then you can't survive. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, it's great that you're on your own now and you kind of talk about the difference between that versus working at a dungeon. I mean, would you mind sort of explaining, I guess, how a dungeon works in terms of the way I'm viewing it is like a client or, you know, there's management and appointments, right? I'm sure it's set up very professionally, but I'm imagining it funny enough, like a hairdresser where like, you know, a dominatrix like rents a room and then you have to give a percentage the way like a hairstylist rents a chair and then they have to like pay the owners. <laughs> is it like that? Or are you like some clients? Yeah, some do work that way. And it's, it's great that you bring that up because I like put out this thing on, you know, femdom Twitter about, I just wanted to know, I, I posed the question about tipping. Okay. Right. Do you tip your dom? Right. And I, I said, you know, it's not here for judgment. I just want to know if you do and why, whatever your, your reason is, you know, whether it's yes, no, or, you know, it depends. I just want to know why I just wanted to start an engaging conversation, but not based on, you know, all this judgment. And the comparison I got from a lot of doms was the fact that like a hairdresser, right? Yeah. Where a lot of independent doms and even doms who work for a house where they're technically working for a company, you know, Mm -hmm. but a lot of independent doms are renting a space to use and tipping them 
is important because, you know, just like you would tip your hairdresser, you know, they provide a service. Um, Yeah, they work for themselves, but there's all this overhead, right? right? Renting a chair and getting there and the tools and all this other stuff. And so at a house, it's like working for a salon, um, which a good friend of mine, it, you know, was my hairdresser. So when she worked for a salon, she pays, you know, there is a percentage of her money that goes to the salon. Okay. Um, when she worked for the salon and then the rest was hers and and that's how, but she could work with the salon in regards to like how much she wanted to charge, but it had to be within agreed upon amount. Okay. So that, um, so that one person is not charging so much and another person is charging so little, you right. know, and she, when she also first started at a salon and there is houses like this, they just pay you like, here's your hourly you know, you work this many hours, you get this, right? Um, so that there are some houses that work that way where you literally are kind of like an employee where you come in, you have so many sessions, you work so many hours, you get paid those many hours, done. And then there are ones where you pay the house, you, the house takes a percentage or you pay the house. And then there is the fully independent where you might rent, you know, a space or a room, um, to conduct your sessions. And so you pay a rental cost, but you don't pay them anything else. Right. And so you get to charge how much you want as an, as an independent, that's what sort of where I am. I, you know, I charge whatever I want, taking into account what it costs me to do X, Y, Z, right? Like my travel costs. So we're we're an entrepreneur, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you own your own business basically. So that's, you know, that's how a lot of independent doms work. Wow. That is so interesting. And it's, and I'm sure that that's, I mean, I'm sure you brought it up a little bit, but I'm sure that's where kind of some of these you know, problems kind of come into play when there's becomes like a a hierarchy or there becomes, you know, people, some people charging this and some people charging this and like bosses and people who do have a certain amount of power in terms of like they own the space or they control, you know, the amount of clients you get. And so I'm sure that that can, you know, that can cause problems in certain situations where places aren't (laughs) maybe run, run very well. Oh my God. That was definitely one of my situations when I was at the house was like, the person doing the bookings, which, um, if, you know, and this was a management thing that they did to me was be, if they got upset at you for whatever reason, they would rebook all your clients to somebody else. Oh my God. And so that was really fucked up. And yeah. like, and like, that means I have no money right. at all. And that would happen. And you wouldn't know why? Because you're not the one doing the booking. So sometimes they would say stuff like, oh, so-and-so canceled. But then I would hear that that person I was supposed to see saw somebody else. Yeah. And it's like, and you, so you never knew when they wanted to be, you know, if they were upset at you and wanted to do some like vindictive shit. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's crazy because you're already, like we talked about at the, 
you know, you're already having to deal with the power dynamics of yourself and your client. And now there's this whole other layer on yeah. top of that. And so that's, it's, I can't imagine how stressful that is for somebody who's more, you know, at the place in their career where they need to kind of rely on a place like that. Yeah. Sex work. That's the thing is like, I always try to convey to folks like sex work is hard. Yeah. And it's not this like easy, fast money thing people think it is. Right. It takes a lot of fucking work. There are a lot of challenges. But the people who choose to do it that I'm going to say I relate to because I can't talk about survival sex work because I'm not in that place. But yeah. the people who choose to do sex work, not because they're in a survival setting, but choose to do it a you know, they choose to do it because they actually really love what they do a lot of times, you know, even yeah. with that hardship. Um, that's why I choose to do it. Even though I have all these challenges, I choose to do this work because it's empowering for me. I really love it. Um, I love my interactions with my clients. Um, but it's also important for clients and for other people to understand that, like, have some compassion for people who are in sex work. It is yeah. not easy at all. And so many people actually rely on it. Like all the people who are watching porn out there, you rely on sex work. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> have yeah. a lot of compassion for the performers and the providers and all the people who put themselves out there and don't get much back. <laughs> And that's the that's the thing I think a lot of people don't understand is it is because there's sort of an anonymity to it, even in person sometimes, it's they don't realize I think how much of a give and take relationship this is, how much they're getting out of it just as much as, you know, the sex worker is just because they're getting paid. I think people think that like there's a difference in terms of like who needs what, but yeah. you're there. You're you're paying for a service. So there's there's a need on your end as well. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you just took all the the sex workers out. What would what would people do? <laughs> it would be chaos. It would be even more chaos in the side than already is. Yeah. <laughs> I guess my last question, just to kind of round it out, and it's fun to go kind of like back to the very beginning. So you know, you talked a little bit in, in the beginning about how you know you had um, a longer evening evening last night. And I guess my question is, because I, you know, I, I think about this a lot in terms of like sex work and, and any type is how much of it feels like, you know, a relationship versus almost just like work. I feel like a lot of times, you know, one thing I tell people too, even like I said, with like OnlyFans is so many aspects of, of any type of sex work is it feels almost more like a, like a relationship. Like there's an, an intimacy, an, an intimacy to it that transcends sex or that maybe transcends kink? And do you feel like oftentimes you are in, you know, relationships? Well, my belief is this. Work is relationships and relationships is work. I love No that. matter what. Yeah. You know, like there is no difference between the interaction. So my partner um, is in the total vanilla world. Vanilla okay. field, vanilla work, and hearing his interactions with his coworkers, his bosses, you know, all team dynamics, all of it. Yeah. It's a relationship. There are relationships being built and the work that goes into that so that they can get other work done. Yeah. It is no different 
from my interactions with my clients. It is both work and relationship. Um, And there's, you know, it just looks different and it's, and it's a little more, you not, um, how's the best way I want to describe that? It's not, it's just a little more unique than what people are used to. Yeah. But they're actually engaging in the same exact thing we're doing every single day. Yeah. So for me, it's no different. Like me going out with my clients, having dinner, getting to know them is no different from my partner going out with his coworkers, getting to know each other better so that they can work on something or going out with maybe um, another company they're working with and getting to know them and working on whatever project. It's the same exact thing, you know. Yeah, I see it as no different. And I, it's it's funny because I worked, you know, back in the day, worked in marketing, and it's it's I, I I can't imagine it's much different than like you said, just taking a client out for dinner, or you know, you get an account and you work with them and you get to know, you know, what they like and how they communicate, and it's it's it, even just talking about it now it sounds so similar. <laughs> Yeah. And boundaries are important, you know, even in that, right? Like if you go out, like if he goes out with, you know, um, you know, a partner, they call them partnerships with another company that they're partnering with where they work together, um, on some other project, right? If they go out and do some team building, there's inherent boundaries that should still exist. You shouldn't be getting obliterated. You shouldn't be talking about, you know, X, Y, Z. People shouldn't be prying into your life. And that's no different with mine. Like, yeah, we had, you know, a bit of wine, but I didn't get obliterated. I didn't, you know, they didn't, you know, say things they shouldn't. I didn't say things I shouldn't, you know, they're still, you know, complete respect for the relationship. But we bonded more, you know, and we might talk about a little personal things and we might talk about random interest and we bond and we might talk about future play and what that looked like or what or how our play was and process together. Right. Like, how did it feel for this to happen? Just like you would do if you're working on a project with someone in the vanilla world. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so interesting. Well, thank you so much for joining me, for talking, for, you know, teaching and just for doing everything you do. I think, you know, the work you're doing is so important in kind of just like navigating this world that's new to certain people, but also kind of just, you know, working to destigmatize and and normalize BDSM and kink. So I'm I'm so excited for this. Thank you for having me on. This conversation was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I had a great time. So uh, I hope you have a great rest of your day and I'll talk to you later. You too. Bye. Bye.